Greetings, lovely Alice. Welcome to the Rosier Moments podcast. Obviously, you're very familiar with Rosier, given yeah. you are a ambassador. Thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. It's a joy. How about you start with an intro with what you do here at Rosier, what you're an ambassador for, and we can go from there. Yeah. Um, so I am sort of waving the flag um, for chronic anxiety, chronic depressive episodes, um, and also kind of link to that the experience of being a queer fat woman um, mm-hmm. and the kind of intersectionality of all that. Um, so I sometimes create some stories, um, often me rambling on at people, which is really fun. Um, and I make uh, what they called feed posts. Is that what they're called? <laughs> Um, grid should, posts? Yeah, grid posts. There Instagram we go. posts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should know the lingo That's by the now. <laughs> um, and yeah, sort of just chat about my experiences and, and some of the the thought processes that I've been through and am going through. Mm, really like that. I think all the Rosie Ambassadors really are great role models for the mental health community. And I think it's nice to see a little little team that's made up of people with very different experiences and backgrounds and that's really representative um of the mental health community so let's start off with um a little bit of a discussion on fat phobia you were talking about how you're waving the flag for being a queer and fat person um i personally find using the word fat really hard to use i kind of feel like it's quite an offensive word so I try not to use it Mm -hmm. but talk to me about why you kind of label yourself as um using that word yeah absolutely I I very much probably you know even maybe a year ago avoided the word I would use things like plus size curvy um Mm. basically constantly sidestepping the word fat because Mm-hmm. It has this connotation of badness. Um, mm. That's not very um, it, like thoughtful way of putting it, but you know, it, it, we think of fat as being kind of this offensive, c- cruel, disgusting word, but actually, it's just a descriptor. Um, you know, I have well currently I have blue hair but you know naturally I have brown hair I have brown and green eyes I'm fat when we say that someone has brown hair we we never say it in an offensive way um so Mm -hmm. why should description of the way my body physically looks be any different and so I started to reclaim the word for myself um Mm. which I have experienced doing being queer because you know reclaiming the word queer is a massive thing in the in the queer community um and it's very much up to each person i think if if someone's not comfortable using that word i'm never going to make them um but for me Mm -hmm. it takes the stigma away when i call myself fat it it helps me to not give those connotations to the word to not give the power to the word Mm -hmm. um so a bit of an empowerment thing where you're like you say reclaiming the word Mm. and just redefining the association that people have with the word fat which as you say can often be negative despite Mm. the fact that it is a descriptor I think that's a really nice way of saying it Mm. yeah exactly and I think it also helps you know when I say it I see people kind of recoil and I I want in a way the fact that I use that word to refer to myself if people then recoil, I want them to think, why am I so uncomfortable with that word? And to, to start, mm-hmm. you know, being introspective and and thinking about, you know, I, st- I did a language degree, a literature and language degree, so it's really hard for me not to analyse language use. Um, mm. But it, I think it's something that a lot of people haven't been taught to do, but it's actually really important. Um, you know, there's so much coded language, uh, not just around fatness, but around queerness, around um, race, you know, and we don't necessarily mm-hmm. even notice it 
Um, yeah. You know, so being aware of the language you're using is just so important. Why do you think the word fat has such negative connotations? Would you say that the diet culture and diet industry has established this black white version of well if you're thin that's the kind of ultimate whereas if you're fat that's the the bad thing that you don't want to be yeah I think it has massively come from from diet culture um I because if you look back at all the different you know I remember many years ago there was this BuzzFeed video about like the ideal woman's physique through you know the centuries and it's so different in different countries and at, at different times and you notice that the obsession with not just thinness but that like skinniness that like you know mm. washboard stomach um not quite skeletal but like you know very much sort of skin and bone like the the least yeah. amount of fat possible that sort that of cape moss-esque look that was yes. kind of sought after exactly that really started to become fashionable mm. around the same time that diet culture really got its footing in that sort of 90s early 2000s i mean yeah. there were issues before that because there have always been these expectations for for our bodies for women's bodies for men's bodies for people's bodies um but i think in terms of that uh that narrative of, of fatness being so people are genuinely scared I, I know some people who've said I would rather die than be fat and it mm. just shocks me but it doesn't shock me because I know that I've had a similar mentality before um mm -hmm. because we're just so afraid of something that is not socially um desirable or acceptable mm. you know yeah I completely hear what you say about that kind of conforming mm. to not wanting to be fat because of the societal pressures and I've definitely fell into that myself when you know I was struggling with my eating disorder mm. the obsession was very much that weight is thin and if I can actually be less than that kind of thin weight mm. then like the better mm. whereas that figure that kind of is constituted as overweight or whatever is was so scary mm -hmm. and I was terrified of kind of being fat mm -hmm. and I reinforced really negative connotations with the word fat yeah. and now when I think about it the obsession I had was just bizarre mm -hmm. but I was so sure that I could not possibly be fat and did everything in my power to not be fat mm -hmm. and often it meant I just wasn't eating, yeah. which doesn't make any sense because there was no fuel in my body. Mm. But I was so committed to not kind of being labelled as fat that the fear is just so overbearing. Yeah, well, I remember you and Holly were talking about the the fact that there was this mentality for, for both of you where it was sort of, if I put this in my body, I will immediately put on weight. As if there was a correlation between that, like, immediately. Whereas, actually, obviously, the body is so much more complex. And then mm -hmm. people started demonising fat as a food group in food, mm -hmm. um, along with carbohydrates. And suddenly it became, well, if I eat something that's high in fat, it will make me fat. Even though that's not mm -hmm. actually yeah. how it works at all. And... I have to mm -hmm. say there's a really fantastic book um, called Food Isn't Medicine uh, by Dr. Joshua Walrich and he really breaks down a lot of these misconceptions and myths. Um, he he just, he's studying um, like nutrition, he's a, he's a GP and he knows what he's talking about and it's just so informative, um, it's so clear Mm. and just explains how when you eat something that has fat in it doesn't put fat it like it doesn't put the fat under your skin mm. you know um yeah. and i think that's a really useful that's really useful information to have to dispel mm. those those myths 
Yeah, I think there is there is a huge thing with diet culture oversimplifying mm. the body and weight and you know how our bodies function and it simplified things so much that there is this association of oh well I can't possibly eat carbs or fats because I'll immediately just grow inside yeah. which is feeding into the fear which is it's quite hard I think without reading beyond just what you see every day mm. to actually differentiate between what's real and what's not when you are fed this really toxic information from diet culture yeah for sure absolutely they have such a they have such a hold on us um even when you become self-aware uh it's so hard to remove that narrative um i've i've been you know aware of my weight and how that makes me perceived by society since I was probably nine ten Mm -hmm. so trying to detangle that and change the narrative my brain is hardwired to to tie my weight to my worth and my value Mm -hmm. um it's just it's exhausting Mm. have you um ever been fat shamed Interestingly enough, not massively. Um, I fat shamed myself. I had. Mm, that's what I was going to come on to. I was yeah. interested. <laughs> I you go straight to that. Yeah, I, I look back and actually I clearly had very extreme body dysmorphia because I look back mm-hmm. at pictures of myself and then think about how I felt at the time. And it's very clear to me that what I saw in the mirror was not actually what mm. was really there. Um, I had a f- couple of instances with like a grandfather saying, well, you're a bit chubby. Um, Mm -hmm. Or someone at school, I was in a play and I was having to wear a fake pregnancy bump. And Mm -hmm. they said, oh, Alice, when are you going to get changed into your costume? And I was like, wow. Great. (laughs) That is a really, really poor comment. Yeah. I can picture like, I'm guessing it was a boy, but maybe it wasn't. it was a boy. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I picture that like teenage boy thinking he's exceptionally cool by you know laying out that that burn yeah yeah um but really other than that it it mostly stemmed from my own self-loathing and perception of of self Mm -hmm. which is almost and when you worse (laughs) sorry no it's just almost worse because Mm -hmm. because i did I, i did it to myself completely and when you say self-loathing, do you mean kind of reinforcing things about your body or just kind of that hate towards your body that every time you look at yourself in the mirror, you're thinking certain things and kind of hating on your body for being what it is? It was sort of both. It was it was a cycle because I would consume this media in, in all forms, you know, whether it's TV or, or a magazine mm-hmm. or something, I would consume this media that that was telling me outright that being fat was something to be ashamed of and afraid of and to avoid at all costs, even if it meant, you know, being malnourished, essentially, but not, they wouldn't use that language. And then I'd look in the mirror and what I'd see was what I perceived as fatness and would then say oh well that means i should be ashamed and disgusted Mm -hmm. and then because the narrative in the media was perpetuated i was then reinforcing it to myself and it was just this it was just this spiral um Mm. that felt utterly inescapable Mm -hmm. when you talk about body dysmorphia can you kind of describe that experience of what it felt like at the time looking at yourself in the mirror and also when you talk about looking at photos now Mm. and I guess having a version in your head of what you thought you looked like at that time and now realizing that that was very much off what you actually looked like Mm. yeah I remember you know in primary school it didn't help that um my friend's at school really fitted into this um stereotypical beauty of long blonde hair blue eyes um Mm -hmm. quite 
sort of slim um i mean we were kids you know i was 10 <laughs> so you know yeah. um but then suddenly i had boobs and i and and it was suddenly terrifying because i was like what is this because no one else seems to have this and and then i had like maybe a little bit of a sort of a kid's belly you know when when mm -hmm. you just you know i wasn't gonna have a washboard stomach <laughs> um and i was sort of i don't know people describe me sometimes as chubby but really i was i wasn't i was just i don't know i was just me um quite natural very healthy um but i it was like when i looked in the mirror there were these labels um that would appear and my eye was drawn constantly to especially my stomach i feel like that is just a common experience for so many people mm -hmm. one of the biggest areas of insecurity is the stomach um yeah that hyperfixation on yeah. the stomach again reinforced by seeing celebrities who yeah. have these washboard stomachs and only seeing these celebrities who are exceptionally fit and are at the front of everything. Yeah. The models that you see, mm -hmm. and I always think about that era with Britney Spears wearing those low-rise trousers oh God, yeah. and Girls Aloud and all of that. And just now when I look at them, I think, oh my God, I was so fixated on that look. Mm. And ultimately, you know, I'm not that body type and I was never going to look like that. Yeah. But... I was invested in looking that certain way because mm. all I was seeing was one body type and a very extreme body type and not necessarily a healthy body type because mm. you don't know what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think also the fact that, you know, feminine bodies are often reduced to, oh, well, it, you might be pear-shaped or hourglass or apple shaped and actually ironically the shapes used to describe the undesirable body types are forms of food albeit fruit but they're forms of food mm. whereas the the metaphor or that you know used to describe the ideal hourglass body shape um or one of the ideals uh is an object um mm. so i feel like that feeds into not just the kind of obsession we have with reaching something almost unattainable but also the the objectification of mm -hmm. of our bodies um and and that's something that definitely fed into my insecurities because i knew that it wasn't just me looking at my body i knew it was other people and we were taught in school especially as girls that our bodies were were s sexual objects you know, mm. like, oh, okay, on Mufti Days, um, I'm not sure how many schools called it that, because I've said that a few times and they've gone, what? Yeah. Um, home clothes <laughs> that days. That is definitely just our school, I think, yeah. <laughs> home clothes days. Um, you know, we couldn't show too much of anything. You know, if you had, you couldn't wear a particular crop top or you couldn't show too much mm, cleavage. That's such a great point, actually. Um, that's such a great point. Yeah, and, and, and even though we were young, you know, we were, we were children um, or young teenagers, but our bodies, it was, oh, well, you'll distract the boys or the male teachers are uncomfortable that they can see up your skirts when you walk up the stairs. My response was that they shouldn't be looking. Um, if anything, you know, because uh, obviously we went to the same school, but um, if you remember in Cambridge House, a lot of the stairs were quite steep. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know look at the stairs as you're going up so you don't trip and fall on your face i it's that sounds like a you problem not a me problem um mm -hmm. but we were taught to that our bodies were were sexualized but we couldn't take control of that narrative it was for others mm. kind of observations um and then people would say oh alice you have such a great bum and then suddenly this whole insecurity I'd never had about my bum. Because then I was like, well, is it peachy enough? Like, is it Kim Kardashian mm -hmm. enough? Um, yeah. Especially because it used to be you didn't want any bum. And now suddenly I have a bum. I, I'd never even thought about it. But someone pointed it out. And suddenly I was like, well, now I have to maintain this. But what if this isn't mm, a fashion Now you're kind of trending. 
Exactly, and that's terrifying because I, I unless I have extensive surgery, I, my body is built the way it is. I, I can't mm. really change that. Um, so I felt very out of control, which I, again I think is a very common experience. I felt like I didn't have control over anything, um, over how I was being perceived and over how my body was growing mm. and changing. I just felt, yeah, completely out of control. When you talk about that period of growing and changing, like I think particularly to that kind of 11, 12 um, point where you start as a woman definitely changing quite drastically and yeah. sometimes much quicker than your friends and sometimes, you know, you go through a lot of stages and sometimes it means you know you're suddenly growing hair out of places you never <laughs> realized you could have and you're going through a period which can be a very mm. distressing moment you're putting on weight or you're losing weight mm. and your body is changing suddenly in quite a overwhelming mm. way how did you feel kind of going through those whatever age it was like becoming a woman as we were told by our parents to kind of love that moment but it is actually really terrifying oh my god I was well I started my period I think I was still in primary school or had just finished primary school so I was really quite young mm -hmm. um and I this is the thing I you know to, to use the classic word developed much quicker than a lot of the other girls so as I say I, I was suddenly wearing mm -hmm. like bras um and i had my period and then you know armpit hair and all as you mm. say like all these things suddenly changing and and i remember my mum had said to me oh um i'd gotten a bit uncomfortable mentioned something about being uncomfortable about my body when i was younger and she had said oh don't worry mm. you'll grow up and in so i thought i would grow up and in um, and then I didn't really change height that much. Um, and so I was like, well, if I'm not growing up, then I'm not going to grow in. Um, yeah. And and also, also... What is that, growing up and in? So, like, you'll get taller and, as a result, thinner. It will all just kind of balance out. Because I think that's what <laughs> happened to her, because she was a, she was very slim when she was uh, mm. sort of my age. Um, and so I think just in, in her mind, she was like, well, I'm going by my own experience, so I'm sure that you know as you get taller you'll you'll slim out and then I didn't and I felt like I'd done something wrong I was like well I suddenly mm. have boobs and other people don't which means that sometimes I look again this narrative like I look fat so that's bad but mm. I was like you know depending on what I was wearing there were times where it didn't quite fit right or I couldn't wear the clothes that my friends were wearing because they were designed mm. for people who didn't have lumps <laughs> you know it, yeah, it, yeah it felt just I felt at complete odds with what society was mm. was telling me um and and that that has just continued honestly in in different aspects mm. of uh of growing up and you know I was told mm. a lot of people would say oh if you came if you come off the pill you'll lose weight opposite opposite happened to me turns out i have pcos which has a huge impact in, on that but you know I, I just felt like i wasn't ever doing anything right because i was never fitting mm. into that societal expectation of of what i should look like mm, yeah totally how did you feel going through that kind of period of development as we'll just call it for the sake of it when you were kind of like changing in the girls changing rooms for PE or something like that that for me was one of my oh. biggest phobias getting changed in front of the other girls who yeah. were all my I don't know it I don't think it was our school but in my year similarly to you a lot of kind of slender mm. pretty girls mm -hmm. um and I kind of developing a lot quicker than everyone else. I was very tall. Mm. Um, I also went through a period where I used to have hot flushes all the time. Mm. Um, and so just getting changed and stuff in, a, in front of other people used to stress me out no end. Yeah. And the fact that I was, I had boobs and stuff like that, but no one else did and people were wearing crop tops. And mm. I kind of thought, oh, well, I'll still try and wear a crop top, but I quite oh. clearly should have not worn a crop top. But... 
there was yeah. that fear of oh I'm not conforming with my peer group like what's yeah. happening to my body it, exactly I oh my god changing room especially because I then grew leg hair and um you know I I grew leg hair right up onto my thighs as well and I have quite dark hair and so suddenly I was like oh my god all these girls have these like their legs just look like skin <laughs> and <laughs> you know and and mine don't um and my mum wanted me to avoid having to you know shave for as long as possible but it meant that I was walking around with hairy legs which again is is this you know there's this concept that women should be hairless which I mean is complete mm. bollocks but you know again that was such a strong narrative it still is really um so I I was petrified. I was petrified to wear shorts. I was petrified to be in my pants, my underwear, because then they'd see all the like mm-hmm. hair around, you know, my whole leg. Because some of them had some hair, but it was all light and blonde, so they, no one could see it. And there was me. And I again, I just felt like I was the only one who had to wear. Even a sports bra didn't hold the hold the girls down <laughs> when we were doing <laughs> sport. And I was. Um, quite unfit and because I was unfit I was perceived as fat and lazy Mm -hmm. even though it was just because I didn't have exercise as a kind of consistent thing growing up um yeah it changing in the girls changing room was just terrifying and god forbid you started sweating and Mm. showing any sign of being anything other than the the image of of a clean pretty girl um Mm. god forbid you needed a poo absolutely (laughs) not that's not you know there's no decorum in that um girls don't poo girls don't poo girls don't fart girls girls don't you know sweat or i don't know it i just i felt girls just stand and look pretty yeah and and i genuinely just felt like i wasn't doing any of that and I was like, oh, mm. my God, what is wrong with me? Yeah. I think something as well that was hard for kind of when we were growing up as well is I felt at least that there just wasn't anyone I could see kind of older than me mm. or at least kind of celebrity wise or just in the media that looked like me or kind of spoke about these problems. Mm. I think I'm excited by social media now and and the kind of the conversations that are being had as a result of people realising that they're actually not alone, mm. which is incredibly powerful and is really at the heart of what we're doing at Rosia. Yeah. But I think it is incredibly lonely when you are experiencing all these different things. And there is lots going on as a woman growing up and going through your teenage years, etc. But if you can't see anyone else going through that, mm. it is a very scary and daunting place where you do just think, it's me i'm the problem yeah absolutely um we are taught to to see ourselves as as the problem um you know it can't be society society's great even though society's feeding us um all this really toxic crap uh often through the media and and social media and that's definitely something that has impacted me both positively and negatively is social media especially instagram and the the things you see and don't see Mm. um i definitely i've gone i feel like we've all gone through these phases of like i'm gonna delete this app for a while because this is causing me a lot of discomfort and anxiety Mm -hmm. um i'm seeing just especially for someone like me who who is fat to just see consistently thin people um and often people with thin privilege talking about themselves as if they're fat and them not having any idea what it's actually like to exist in a in a society Mm. as a as a fat person being told to follow um ashley graham because she was essentially the only mainstream plus size model but Mm -hmm. anytime I looked at her account I just I saw the she's the acceptable type of fat 
because she actually does mm -hmm. have a pretty flat stomach. So, and all her pictures are very much posed from the front, so you can't see any lumps and bumps and she's you can't see me right now but I'm like posing like her you know <laughs> where you you twist to a certain angle to make your waist look smaller you yeah, move your course. arms to a certain angle to get rid of the squish you you know you lift your chin to get rid of the double chin and I was like well I don't look like her either I don't look like any of these people but I'm being told that they understand how I feel mm. even though they don't actually they you know, we all have insecurities, absolutely. But until you've walked into a, you know, for example, H&M, looked at a tag and seen that the biggest size it goes to is a 14 and you're an 18 or 20, you don't know what it's like to not have the privilege to size up, to not have the privilege mm. to walk into a store and be able to pick something up and be pretty sure that it will probably fit. You might have to go up a size. Um, and... I used to come back from shopping trips and just cry and cry and cry because nothing would fit. I'd go up three sizes and it still didn't fit. Um, and, mm. you know, that was just constantly perpetuated by people saying, oh my God, I've put on weight and now I'm a size 12 instead of a size 10. And now I was a size 16. Like, okay, shit. <laughs> Again, what have I done? What have I done wrong? Yeah. Mm. no completely that actually segments really nicely to um what we wanted to talk about with clothing sizes mm. actually just off the back of what you were saying about kind of going on shopping trips and feeling really demoralized i worked in a in a retail gym store mm. not gym store boutique fashion athleisure as we now um, oh. call it <laughs> Um, and we were told only put the the small sizes out and if someone wants to come in who is god forbid a medium um you know we'll go to the back and kind of collect that for them oh my and god and i think that is that is just such an issue that it you know that's a pretty recent example yeah and there is this fantasy of you know there's only one type of person and it's that thin skinny mm. person but anyone else is you know who doesn't fit that is kind of you know irrelevant and and isn't important or whatever mm. um i think just the very fact that a big brand like that i won't mention them in case they sue me um <laughs> um you know says to says to their employees only put small sizes to the front mm. just basing it on the fact that they don't expect anyone who's not tiny to walk into the shop is is just ridiculous and it shouldn't be you know it shouldn't be a privilege to work out or do movement etc and to wear clothes shouldn't be a privilege yeah. um and it is such a shame that there is still this ingrained obsession with certain sizes being acceptable and then the rest being unacceptable or kind of being categorized as plus size mm. to give them their own kind of category but ultimately mm. clothes are clothes i i kind of don't like it when we separate the i know i when we separate and create the plus size i don't know how you feel about that so i feel like it kind of isolates things again well the uh, the the useful thing so a recent experience i had i was like right i'm gonna um buy a couple of summer bits you know skirts and dresses off ASOS and some of the um there was an ASOS design uh dress and it went up to a size 18 but it wasn't in the plus size collection and I ordered the 18 so I'm sort of an 18 slash 20 um and then I ordered something from Daisy Street plus size which is you know specifically it's sort of size 18 and above um the even though they were the exact same size obviously different brands but the 18 asos design because it wasn't in the plus size it i couldn't do it up um over any parts of my body and the issue when um at the moment even if a size uh is big enough technically on paper because it's not taking into account the way that plus size bodies are often slightly different 
shapes and kind of mm -hmm. you know um work differently it doesn't actually fit whereas then if something is specifically designed for plus size there are allowances made um mm -hmm. however i think what should really be happening is everything is made from you know and a triple xs to a triple xl or whatever um and allowances are made for the smaller sizes for the bigger sizes um and so there's no separation of oh well this is for you if you are fat this is this will fit you mm -hmm. if these are similar to your measurements um mm -hmm. so that we can just enjoy wearing the clothes we want to wear nothing's going to fit every person perfectly because we're all different and clothing mm -hmm. sizes are completely irrelevant and banal like they don't mean anything um they're based on crap um you know i i've seen sometimes the the measurements of like oh these are the bust waist and hip measurements for t-shirts and trousers at size 16 and i just think every size 16 can't be those measurements because we don't mm -hmm. you know yeah. not everyone looks yeah, the same. yeah, yeah. Um, there's a spectrum like even within a size 10 but exactly sadly that isn't conveyed by retail no um and i often think that sizing well because it's it's not standardized across stores and so mm -hmm. you yeah. know you'll get like a size 12 from one store will be the same as a size i don't know eight in another store um mm. but it'll they'll both be you know named differently and oh, it's just mm -hmm. and then in men's clothes in trousers for example they do waist and leg measurement but they don't do that with women's clothing generally which mm -hmm. also confuses me because why shouldn't well that would be really helpful if i because i have sh i'm five four i'm i'm squat you know i'm i'm short <laughs> and wide so you know i don't tend to need things to be long but I do need them to be a little wider. But often, if you go wider, mm. they go longer. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm yeah. five four, hun. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, pe I'm petite, but I can't wear petite clothes because they also are made for thin people. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, I agree. You know, there's no winning. <laughs> um, when we talk about clothing sizes, actually, how how have you dealt with that kind of conformity to one size? I have always struggled with kind of moving beyond my what I've decided is my set size, mm -hmm. despite, you know, maybe now being five, six years older since I decided I would only be X size mm -hmm. slash just going through fluctuations, periods, blah, 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 like going through stress, life, whatever, mm -hmm. which does, you know, your body changes. Um, but how have you dealt with kind of accepting that? clothes sizes don't necessarily matter it's more about you know what fits and makes you feel comfortable I saw this really interesting Instagram post actually about when you're trying on shoes you you're looking for a size that fits your foot mm. but when we try on clothes we have a very different approach to it and it's very much oh well that size is too small therefore you know, I'm not buying it, mm. which I've definitely had for years and years and years and have probably until very recently only started buying clothes that fit me rather than the trying other way around. Fit, trying to fit the clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I mean, it's fascinating because I look back and I think, OK, when I was sort of um, maybe 11 or 12, I was probably a size eight, maybe. And <laughs> And my brain can't process that because I'm now a size sort of 18 or 20. And I had this limit in my head of like, I could never be, I could never wear anything more than a size 14 because that's like 14 is the maximum. But really I should be a 10, you know, even a 12 is bad kind of thing. Um, 
I mean, it's almost funny to me now because I'm like, hun, you have no idea what's coming. Like, <laughs> you have no idea what you're about to experience with how your body is changing and how that's related to your mental health. And um, it turns out you have a medical condition and like all these sorts of things. Um, but I, I, I remember multiple times just picking up a size, for example, a size 12 and being like, just hoping it fit and then mm. and then like when it didn't having to go back and pick up maybe a 14 but again I have quite big boobs so then often it would fit in one part of my body but not another um and so then I was like well and I'd reconcile myself I'd be like oh well it's it's their fault I am a size 12 um I just have like two big boobs for this um mm. as if being any other size was was uh, again bad it's again linked mm -hmm. to to the to the perception of fatness um mm. and it's taken me a long time and even now I still get you know insecure but I just I know that a size 18 or 20 is most likely going to fit me um but I mm. have no qualms about getting a bigger size uh again the the label doesn't really matter so much it's how I feel in it and Sometimes I'll get a bigger size and then adjust it, um, you know, if I need to take it in slightly somewhere because it fit one bit and not the other. Um, I've, I've trained myself much better now to not put so much, pun intended, weight on a number mm. on an item of clothing. But it, it's, it's hard and it's constant upkeep of that mentality. Mm. Yeah, you definitely have to challenge your thoughts because I think sometimes when I've been into Zara, for example, where things are very bizarre in terms of sizing mm. if you're not straight and long. Mm. Um, and I'm someone who is tall and I do have bigger legs, bigger thighs, mm. um, but not in a, I hate saying bigger, but bigger in comparison to the prototype of mm. nothingness on your body yeah um but I've always kind of gone into Zara and picked up jeans tried them on and they don't quite fit mm. but I've told myself you know what you need to lose weight to fit into the trousers yeah and that's been that's been my next obvious kind of solution to yes. something not fitting it's been Sophie you've been eating too much mm. you need to lose weight to fit into those trousers because you have to be wearing those that size mm. trousers mm. and it's such a toxic approach to clothing yeah. and I've then you know after I've say bought a pair of trousers and I've decided that I have to lose weight to fit into the trousers I then go to that extreme of kind of not eating until mm. the trousers fit and then even I mean in a lot of instances the trousers ultimately won't fit even if I lose weight because mm. again my body my body is just not meant for those style yeah. that sizing blah 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 mm. due to like numerous other factors but mm. I've ultimately blamed myself yeah. for you know not being strict enough or controlling enough with my food mm. to be able to fit into a size which I should be able to fit into yeah absolutely and I actually think that for many of us, especially those of us who grew up as, you know, young girls and, and women, we have been taught to adapt ourselves to fit into what, you know, society wants, whether that's in the terms of our bodies or even just the way that we behave. Um, even if it's not always explicit, there's still these undertones of, well, if you're a woman, you know, the language of, a woman will be called bossy, but a man will be, be called, um, I literally can't even think of the word, assertive, there we go. Um, mm. So we, we've been taught from such a young age that that we need to adapt ourselves to, to fit. Um, so it makes sense that when it comes to clothes, we think we have to change to fit them rather than them having to change to fit us because it's something mm -hmm. that we've just grown up with um and again all of this is just so exhausting you know 
mentally, emotionally, mm. it's just so knackering to be constantly thinking about how you look and how it's mm -hmm. all working and is it working? Am I fitting this right? And oh my God, I just want to scream mm -hmm. and say, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Saying that, how, how have you kind of achieved that acceptance or kind of contentness with who you are, what you look like, that clothing doesn't have to be just one size and that it will be, you know, whatever makes you feel good. How have you kind of reached that point and how do you uphold that? So, I don't know if you've ever watched um, any of the Avengers movies. Um, I have not. Okay. I'm, um, I'm off the... But I'm sure some of our listeners will have. Yeah. I'm quite poor on the film knowledge. <laughs> well, there's there's a moment <laughs> where uh, where Hulk, uh, the Incredible Hulk, is talking about um, basically staying as Banner rather than turning into into Hulk. Because um, when he basically when he gets angry, he turns into Hulk. And he eventually says, "Do you want to know what my secret is?" And they say, "Yeah." And he says, "I'm always angry." Um, and I sort of feel like that sometimes, not in terms of the anger, but in terms of the, I'm, I talk very comfortably about my experience with my weight and I will, you know, preach body um, neutrality, body acceptance, body confidence and stuff. But I feel like I'm constantly um, on the verge of, of going back to that mental space of, oh my God, I'm too fat kind of thing. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's sort of, I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm not fully accepting of my own body. Mm -hmm. And actually because I'm self-aware of that fact, I'm able to be kinder to myself which mm, again sounds yeah. a little odd because you'd think oh well if you just accepted your body you'd be kind to yourself but that's actually really difficult to do yeah I think so, that's almost impossible to do mm. within just the context of society and as humans naturally comparing yourself etc mm. I think people who do say you know you have to be totally confident in your own skin I think there's definitely a nuance to that even being a possibility, but being in that in-between point that you describe with that self-reflection and awareness mm. to be gentle and, you know, maybe hear thoughts, but mm. try and challenge them. Yeah. It's definitely a constant process yeah. and it is, it is tiresome, um, but I think you can, you can take away that, that tiresome obsession mm. by by accepting that it isn't going to be perfect and you don't have to look perfect. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a constant kind of check-in with yourself. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And actually, you know, what's more exhausting to me is when I was constantly, you know, berating myself and, and loathing myself. Whereas now, okay, yes, it means that the thoughts still come up, but... I'm able to hear them and go, oh, okay, that's coming from quite a toxic place. Let's take a moment, take a breath. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm able to also recover from those moments of insecurity so much quicker now because I have the tools mm -hmm. to do that. Um, yeah. And so it is a lot less exhausting because it's becoming it's becoming subconscious and it's becoming natural. And the more we talk, the more personally, the more I talk about these experiences and share and hear other people's experiences, the less alone we are, the less stigma there is, mm. which, yeah. you know, is really ultimately, we can't change the world overnight, but we can, we can open these conversations. And I think there's something, you know, you and I agreed there were lots of these conversations that we needed to hear when we were younger and we didn't. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, I love being able to have those conversations thinking, imagining there's an, a, a little Alice out there <laughs> mm -hmm. listening to them, you know, I feel like that would be a really lovely point 
to stop. I think we've hit some some big themes and covered some really nice points about body and acceptance and Mm -hmm. I think you finished on a really nice tone there with with body acceptance and um how you you can achieve it but again it's it's a mixed bag in Hmm. in you have to bring a bit of introspection to that constant reflection on yourself yeah um if you had to give one piece of advice Alice to your younger self about body image your body changing just comparison things like that what what would it be oh god I know this isn't advice but I think I'd just give her a hug Mm-hmm. because I don't think anything that I could say would actually would actually do anything because I think there were people who said useful things to me and I didn't listen because I was so caught up in my own head mm-hmm. but I think I'd just I'd just give her a hug and and tell her that you know you're okay <laughs> and you are utterly valid even on the days and weeks and months and years you don't feel like it mm-hmm yeah, oh, divine. <laughs> I want to give your younger self a hug now. Let's all, let's all give Alice a hug. <laughs> <laughs> let's all give little Alice a hug. Everyone listening from far and wide, give Alice a good old virtual hug. Yes, please. Well, what a fabulous way to, to tie up the podcast, Alice. Wonderful. Um, thanks so much for joining. Pleasure. Um, as ever, we will end with, with as, as the name would suggest, a... A rosier related question so in terms of your mental health anything whatever it is what makes you feel rosier recently the thing that has made me feel rosier has been journaling um it's not always consistent you know it's not every day but when my brain is really busy overwhelmed especially at night picking up my journal writing down what i'm feeling what's happened in the day um it's like clearing out my brain for a minute and yeah it's been making me feel rosier beautiful well that marks the end of the podcast everyone i hope you have enjoyed it profusely and do reach out to alice through the rosier goodness instagram page slash facebook slash linkedin we're all over those socials (laughs) um and yeah it's been fabulous